You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Today we're going to talk about one of the most controversial games that has come out this year so far. There might be lots more to come. This one is Hogwarts Legacy, or as I like to call it, the Spider Game. It is full of spiders. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was so hard, so tough. I'm, I'm not. I don't really have like arachnophobia in a pathological sense, but I do not like spiders. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they move. I don't like that video game spiders are gigantic and screech. Yes. There's like in. There were moments in Hogwarts Legacy where, first of all, you can set the spiders on fire, right? You do like incendio, and then they're like on fire, and then they're running around like, and yeah. then they, oh, <laughs> I I don't know why. Terrifying. Yeah, games always give spiders vocal cords just to <laughs> really really amp up the terror of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not I'm not pathologically afraid of them, but uh, I think that. They are, well, let's be honest, abominations unto God and man. So I, I don't quite like them. <laughs> yeah, they even, the protagonist several times in Hogwarts Legacy says, ah, oh, shame you're so foul. Yeah. Or defeating the spiders. The one I liked was, um, you know, good riddance monster. That was a good line. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, I must say upfront, a warning for everyone who's uh, properly has arachnophobia. Do not play this game because they throw spiders at you constantly they mm -hmm. have you crawl through small corridors and caves where spiders oh. are like crawling around on the ceiling they have you walk towards like a, a little hole that you can where you can see through the wall and suddenly a huge spider crawls across i yeah. found it so creepy and i often really had to force myself to continue playing until the point where I got entirely desensitized to it, where I'm basically I'm I'm basically a spider mass murderer at this point. I've killed <laughs> hundreds of spiders now, and I'm just like you know just uh, killing all the spiders. Another day at Hogwarts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's of course Hogwarts Legacy is an impressive accomplishment. Um, we can say that up top because it is actually by far not the first Harry Potter game. I remember that when I was young, I played a couple of old PlayStation Harry Potter video games. And they were always trying to uh, like replicate the narrative of the films. And they felt more like mini games, you could say. They were not bad games, but they were quite gimmicky little games. Very much. I remember the first one. The kind of strength of them was that they implemented a lot of information from the books. So for example, someone who shows up in Hogwarts Legacy, Peeves, He's not in the movies, but he was in the video games always. So there, there was kind of this interesting bridge where it was a bunch of mini games with some of the stuff that you might have missed from the movies. That is a cool blend, yeah. And mm. still, Harry Potter or the Harry Potter games have um, really taken a back seat in the last decade. And it's only now that Avalanche Software comes around with Hogwarts Legacy, a very um, high-quality, high-budget, triple-A Harry Potter video game called Hogwarts Legacy, which is very remarkable, considering that if you look at the profile of the studio, they've previously done things like they've worked on Disney Infinity, for example. 
They've worked on cars, uh, mm. like the the licensed tie-in from the it's a Pixar film, I think, right? Yes. Yep. Pixar film. They've done so some racing they, games, I think. They've got some experience with adapting licenses to video games, but they have, as far as I could see, not really done something like a proper open-world action role-playing game. It's pretty impressive. It reminds me of uh, Hello Games with No Man's Sky, where it's like these these people, they had only done a few phone games prior to No Man's Sky, and now it's one of this, you know, this massive open-world game that's had all these fixes, and it's incredible, and it, it's interesting. It's like a little studio that could, in a lot of ways. I, I found that really impressive, I must say. Uh, I mean, yeah. we're going to talk about the qualities of Hogwarts Legacy in just a moment, but really, to basically already spoil my conclusion on it, I am impressed by the quality that they have achieved as a studio that has no repertoire, like, for example, you know, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about Rockstar games yeah. or about, about Guerrilla, Guerrilla games. Or Ubisoft and, or something, like yes, huge exactly. open world. Yeah, exactly. I would even say they exceed uh, the qualities of something like Assassin's Creed. Uh, the Certainly most in the storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's really impressive. They also sold 12 million copies in two weeks, which is a record-breaking revenue for Warner Brothers Games, which is the publisher. So we have to acknowledge up top that it is a very successful game and an impressive achievement considering the, uh, the, the experience that the developer studio had so far. Mm. And of course, before we go into discussing the actual game, we also have to address briefly the controversy revolving around Hogwarts Legacy. This is largely to do with J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series and the tie-in novels, um, who, you could say, who takes a very public stance on Twitter, but also writes lots of, or not, not I shouldn't say lots, but a couple of articles that well, go and, in the direction. And a whole book. <laughs> and a whole book, yes, she's also written a book on it, yes. Um, she's very public and very vocal in uh, proposing a trans-exclusionary feminist stance. So that means uh, she advocates for the rights of women and for the acknowledgement of women as an identity construction. And at the same time, she does portray trans people and trans identities as a threat to what it means to be a woman. Classical example is this bathroom argument of, you know, trans people being able to enter women's safe spaces and therefore making them unsafe. This is one of the arguments that she would, for example, present. She has completely doubled down on it too. I mean, people have in good faith tried to, for years, have in good faith tried to pull her out of this or make her see something and she's just not doing it. So uh, pretty, pretty big disavowal from studying pixels of the author in this case. Yeah. It is a very strongly entrenched stance. We have done an entire episode on this. This episode was titled, Should We Shun Hogwarts Legacy? Because we are aware that there are outlets there who say we categorically will not cover this video game. Obviously, we chose to do so regardless. And that's why we want to briefly outline the debate and why we made the choice that we did make. So the first question is, why should you potentially shun Hogwarts Legacy? Or boycott Hogwarts Legacy. The first mm. argument, obviously, is that J.K. Rowling takes a trans-exclusionary feminist stance very publicly, and it's a very entrenched stance. Mm. Also, there is lots of criticism regarding the politics of the Harry Potter series in general. Harry Potter 
has been criticized for many years now, regardless of what J.K. Rowling said as a fantasy that caters to a white British upper class that upholds things like, um, you know, class distinctions, racism. traditionalism, <laughs> racism, conservatism. Basically that everything in this wizarding world is how it should be. And any attempt to change or to reform things to make it more accessible or more diverse is something that's rejected in these in these novels. And we've joked about this before, but Harry Potter becomes a magical cop. So yes. there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, reading between the lines for the Harry Potter series. So there is the argument of boycotting it because of J.K. Rowling's public stance of trans-exclusionary feminism. There is the argument of boycotting it because of the Harry Potter series having problematic political implications as such. Mm. And there is also the argument, a simple financial argument, that if you purchase Hogwarts Legacy, like we did now for this episode, then J.K. Rowling will benefit in some way. We don't know exactly to which degree, but of course she holds the Wizarding World license and therefore will also benefit in some form. Whether it's a one-time payment uh, that they basically got the license and now they can do with it what they want, or whether it's a share of every copy sold, we don't know that exactly. And most importantly, I think this is the strongest argument in favor of shunning the game or boycotting it, is that doing so can be a symbol of support for trans people. People mm. who feel uh, attacked by J.K. Rowling's public stance against trans people, and then in solidarity saying, in solidarity with trans people saying, I'm not going to buy or report on or talk about this video game because I want to symbolically reject J.K. Rowling's political views. So therefore, you could shun or boycott it. And I think that's reasonable. And I think that I also want to say that I believe that if you choose not to shun this, it's not that you're immediately against trans people because we are very for trans rights on studying pixels. Uh, and we chose not to shun it, which we'll get into here briefly. But I think that I understand where that stance is coming from, certainly, especially if you, if you are so uh, up on what J.K. Rowling says routinely, I can see how you could really be against her for this this game and the property. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. It's very fair to acknowledge that um, not shunning the game, or let's say it in a simple manner, if you purchase Hogwarts Legacy, that doesn't mm. mean that you have anything against trans people. Uh, it does mean, though, of course, that you're passing up, you're passing on this particular opportunity to take a symbolic stance mm. for trans people. And uh, we did that. We did pass on this opportunity. We addressed the subject in a different way, as you can tell at the beginning of the episode now, while still talking about the game. Because there are also good reasons, we believe, there are good reasons why you should not shun or boycott the game. And those would be that both the publisher, Warner Brothers, and the developer, Avalanche Studios, have stressed multiple times in the marketing material that uh, J.K. Rowling was not directly involved, so had no creative control over what exactly is in the game. Which I think you can tell in some of the way, ways that the characters are written, i.e. they are written pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it might even be that in some ways it exceeds 
mm. just from a simple form of artistry and of the craft of writing. Yeah. Um, in some way, I would say in other ways, not. Like there's still, there's still characters like, you know, Dumbledore, for example, uh, Ron Weasley as well. It's really hard to, to or Severus Snape. To dislike uh, them. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. really it's really hard to to like no character in Hogwarts Legacy exceeds these iconic characters. I would say no, certainly not. They try with one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. but uh, continuing in this argument of why you might not shun the game, of course we said that J.K. Rowling benefits in some way financially from this, but you can also say, well, she's rich anyway, and whether Hogwarts Legacy sells well or whether it does not sell well, that will not really impact the, let's say, financial household uh, of J.K. Rowling. I think also an important note there is that she's so far down the rabbit hole on this turf stuff that no, she could twist literally anything to fit her narrative at this point. Yeah. So the the sales, the 12 million copies of Warner Brothers, I, I don't take that as you know, oh, J.K. Rowling is right. She's going to think she's right no matter what. Exactly, yeah. If if you, that's an interesting point. If you have a successful Hogwarts legacy, then it's like, well, clearly people don't mind my stance or even agree with me. You know, people mm -hmm. voted with their wallets, which I think is a terrible expression because people can't vote with wallets. It's like everyone has, <laughs> <laughs> everyone should have one vote <laughs> yeah. and not, <laughs> and it shouldn't depend on the size of your wallet. Um, but also that if you have a Hogwarts legacy that completely flops and that's getting review bombed and stuff like that, then J.K. Rowling can easily say, well, see, they're out to get me. You know, they're exactly. deliberately, they're overly sensitive and so on. They're misunderstanding me, misinterpreting me deliberately. It's like a witch hunt. Hmm. Little Nothing will, play. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nothing will get through to her is the point. Exactly. This is the thing. Even if the game flops terribly and a large scale boycott were to succeed, which it didn't. Uh, then that would not change J.K. Rowling's mind. However, it would hurt the studio, including mm. its employees who put lots of work into it and who are not affiliated in any way with the turf stance, the trans-exclusionary radical feminist stance who've, of J.K. Rowling. Who've outright spoke against it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes, they've spoken out against it, very vocally so, and they also make a deliberate effort in the game to be inclusive towards all sorts of marginalized identities, including trans people. So mm. basically there are, I would say, there are solid arguments why one might shun or boycott the game, and there are solid arguments why one might not. Now, we've decided not to under these circumstances, and now in hindsight, after having played through the game, I think it was the right decision, because there are many positive examples of being diverse and inclusive that we can address in just a moment. But I just want to say that it's okay, whatever side you are on. Like, if you listen to this episode and you think, no, it would be right to boycott or shun the game, uh, that's fair. Um, it's totally understandable. It's a legitimate choice to make. We chose to go the other way, and we're going to have lots to say about the video game itself. Including, I would like to add that I think the most important thing about this game is something that... Uh, I don't know that I've seen a lot of people talk about in the discourse around it, which is, I think that it takes all of all of the flaws that we've talked about with the Harry Potter world, with the class structure, the racism and everything. I think this game does something really interesting. It removes itself from the Harry Potter story by about, a, I think, 100 years or so. 
Yeah. And we see that the problems are still there and that they're they're nuanced and they're different in a really interesting way. And what I love about this is that this series now has the power and the capability to hold a mirror to the original series and comment on how these things are a problem in a way that in a real world way is frustratingly hard to solve. I think Harry Potter sweeps those things under the rug. Hogwarts Legacy intimates that everyone knows it's a problem, but no one knows how to fix it because it's so entrenched. And I think that's an important step. Yeah, it also opens it up a lot when it comes to yes. potential other directions in which the series could go. I mean, in the Harry Potter novels and films, we've already seen that there are, of course, other schools of wizardry all over the planet. Like, magic doesn't only exist in the in Scottish Highlands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, magic's kind of British thing, you know? That's what yeah, they yeah. do. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a really cool first step. And so... I, just to echo what you said, I, I, I understand both sides of the shun argument. Um, I think ultimately I'm glad that we didn't for reasons that we'll get into. But I also think that this is a really important breakaway step that could pro possibly breathe life into this universe more than uh, has been done with those awful Fantastic Beasts films. <laughs> oh, God, that was really hardcore. Newt Scamander? The, these Fantastic Beast films, I, I was never able to get into them. No, this game does way better with Fantastic Beasts yes. than any of those movies did. So <laughs> skip okay. the movies, play this game. <laughs> We've got lots to talk about uh, regarding the review of Hogwarts Legacy. Before we do that, let me just briefly remind you that if you like the show and want to, make us, want to help us make it happen, then you can support us by joining Studying Pixels Plus, where you get all of our episodes ad-free a lovely sticker at monthly plus episodes. If you're curious about that, you can go to studyingpixels.com plus. Now, here's a little jingle, and then we'll get into the review. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And we are back talking about Hogwarts Legacy. This is a game in which you actually get to play a student at Hogwarts. The basic framework is that everyone else is already there. They're doing their thing. They're learning magic. And you come in late. You play as a kind of random fifth-year student. And you don't really have that much of a background. Like in comparison to, the, to Harry Potter as a protagonist, who is very rich in his background, and it's all about his background. In the character of Hogwarts Legacy, you don't really have much. You're just an empty canvas. Truly. And I, I kept waiting for a moment where 
is it going to explain why we're let in as a fifth year? Because that's everyone says how unusual that is, and that we see that it's only happened a handful of times in the past. So I have a theory as to why you're there as a fifth year, but uh, I think the uh, formal reason, the structural reason, is that you know you want to deal with heavier themes, you want to fight things, and I don't think they were going to make an eleven-year-old do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it must yeah. be a little bit more in the upper teenage range uh, age-wise and it also it it, it was like I, I get that there's a certain dissonance because you wonder like who am i as a character yeah. in the game but on the other hand it didn't really bother me because who am i i'm me you know i'm basically yeah. i'm realizing the fantasy of creating in a quite pretty character editor an, an avatar for myself and i'm just like imagining my own background story it's all a projection of myself and of my own background my own desires like what would have happened if i uh being obviously 10 years younger or 20 years younger would <laughs> end up uh being able to go to hogwarts and catch up with all the stuff that people have already been taught and i think there's enough context clues with the other character uh, Morganach, who also seems to have started as a 15 year old. She also has the use of this ancient magic that your character does. So it's, it's almost like you can, you can piece together, oh, maybe there's some kind of delayed reaction for those who are susceptible to ancient magic and they just show up later. That's fine. That's all I need. And yeah. I think that they didn't spell that out, but it, like I said, I kept waiting for it, but when it didn't come, I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, it's pretty early on that you're being that you discover that you have an inclination to see and potentially also wield ancient magic, a form that regular wizards and witches have no access to, mm. and you're then thrown into a huge conflict um, between an evil goblin called Ranrock, and uh, he's super angry. It's a little bit wishy-washy the exact details of it, but. He's super angry with wizard kind because of a traumatic memory, but also because he wants to he wants goblins to be able to wield magic just like humans. Yeah, there's there's this thing in the in the wizarding world that non-humans aren't allowed to use wands. And the idea is that the goblins, the house elves, even centaurs and other, you know, I think uh racistly in the Ministry of Magic they call them um creatures of almost human intelligence or something like that and they just don't want them to have it and i think the idea is because they have such powerful magic innately that if they were to have a wand it would channel it and cause a real problem for the wizards <laughs> that seems to be the background it's never really explored as to why the desires of ranrock are in themselves a problem because technically wouldn't it be fair to open up the world of wizardry to all kinds of creatures. But on the other hand, that's where I find interesting. Maybe we should go into the question of whether Ranrock is an anti-Semitic trope here then, uh, <laughs> if we land on the subject so organically anyway. Yeah, right, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> we, we originally agreed that we would push this a little bit further into the back of the show. But uh, indeed, Ranrock, he desires this kind of destructive and very dangerous ancient magical power. And he basically stops at nothing to obtain it. So mm. he's characterized as a very evil character. He's literally the embodiment of evil in this world. I should say, too, that the reason 
So there's, there's two main reasons why he's so bent on this. The first is that he is uh, racist against wizard kind. He hates them. The second reason is that the description of uh, goblin ownership in the world of Harry Potter is that they believe whoever made an object is the rightful owner of it. And so we come to find out that this magic that he's looking for is encased in goblin metal that his ancestor created. So he believes that it's rightfully his. So that's the other kind of aspect of it, where it's a clash of racism, but then also cultural differences coming in, where there's a fundamental disagreement between wizards and goblins on what owning something means. Yeah, I think this is interesting that they basically contrast these two forms of ownership. There's literally mm. a direct line where uh, one of the characters that accompanies you, Sebastian, he's kind of one of your peers, one of your friends that you make at Hogwarts. He says something like, oh, that's a weird kind of idea of ownership. Yeah, I think uh, he says it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, a ridiculous, ridiculous idea of ownership that yeah. everyone who makes something owns that thing forevermore, basically. Mm. But importantly, I would say, I mean, Ranrock's motivations and or the the... the question of whether other creatures ought to be able to wield magical power is really not that much discussed in the game. It's more about fighting back against Ranrock, who himself is uh, quite racist. Yes. And um, tries too. to... Yes, racist, uh, a murderous racist. He's, I would say he's a fascist. You could describe him as a fascist. He uh, tries to obtain his regimen uh, through violent means and... He is, I know that there was this discussion about whether Ranrock is basically uh, an anti-Semitic trope, uh, mm. because of course the goblins, um, they do fit the mold of being anti-Semitic tropes. They're also associated with Gringotts, which is of course the bank in the world of Harry Potter that holds all the money. So there are some associative connections there that would imply that it is. However, I think they are pretty smart about how they actually explore it in Hogwarts Legacy because Ranrock, he does not represent goblin kind as such. In fact, right. there are many goblins that you encounter throughout the game that completely distance themselves from the goals of Ranrock. And there are also wizards, uh, human beings, who uh, affiliate with him and who basically support his endeavors. So you can't really draw a clear line um, and, and just say it's like a, an anti-Semitic trope. He's not so much, quote-unquote, like an evil Jew, right. but he's more like an evil fascist, you could say. Yes. It's, I think it's down more to ideology because there's a moment early on, you mentioned Gringotts. Something that I thought was really important is that, so early on in the game, you go to a Gringotts vault. It kind of kicks off the story. And there's a goblin who works at Gringotts who was waiting for someone to get to this vault. And he's so excited because he, there had been instructions for hundreds of years on what to do when somebody gets to the vault. And there's an exchange that that goblin has with Ranrock where that goblin is like, hey, you can't do this. This is against our rules here. You, they, they own the vault. They opened it. You can't come in here and take what's theirs. And right there, you get this split of, okay, not all goblins are on the same side. Clearly, this guy has different principles than Ranrock does. Yeah, it's not, it's not very much like a war between races. It's more like a war between ideologies and a yes. war um, that's aimed towards the question of how far is it legitimate to go to achieve some kind of power? I would say it's, it's still very 
black and white fascism like you're talking about stuff on yeah. but um it's more nuanced than voldemort to me because voldemort is just kill everyone who's not pure-blooded wizard and give me power that's yeah. just straight up racism <laughs> ranrock is you can in a different story you could tell that um he would be a sympathetic protagonist if he weren't i'm sorry a sympathetic antagonist if he weren't so bloodthirsty <laughs> yeah quite possibly mm. he's also pretty removed from the story of hogwarts legacy like uh, strangely only, so yeah you only see him in very few sequences and there he basically just pops up and he does something evil and then he disappears and uh, yeah. it's really like whenever he's on screen he does something evil <laughs> yes that's true so <laughs> they make a deliberate effort to make it clearly black and white. Like, that's the evil guy. That's the guy you got to kill, basically. Especially because a lot of the people that you work with against him, the goblin character included, Lodgok, stands as a foil to Ranrock in a lot of ways. Someone who learned to get over his racism and trust wizards. It's it's interesting. It's It's more than just good guys versus bad guys. It's people who are growing and changing because of their interactions with other people. And... On the flip side, Ranrock does not change with his interactions with other people. It only deepens his resolve that wizards are evil. <laughs> I actually just realized something that mm. indeed there is an anti-racist message in there, I suppose, because um, the other goblins that distance themselves from Ranrock are usually goblins that point out that they don't agree with the means and they also don't agree with this just generalized hatred against wizard kind. Yeah. Um, and there's another evil character who is a wizard. Rookwood. Um, Rookwood. Victor Rookwood. Yeah. And, great, uh, great bad guy name. <laughs> yeah. He's a typical Harry Potter style bad guy. Mm. Uh, although he also has very little screen time, but in the screen time that he has, he makes it quite abundantly clear that um, these, this ancient magic belongs to wizard kind only. So even though he has an alliance with Ranrock, they both have actually quite opposing goals. They only work together temporarily, which mm. becomes quite clear fairly early on in the game that they, they have a fragile alliance. And so you could say you're basically fighting against uh, the fascists and those that are attempting to uphold this exclusivity of um of magic for one race yes. or another i i think that it's very smart in the way that it does it it also doesn't feel like it's beating you over the head at any point uh and maybe that's because it's a video game and he's the antagonist but i i never felt like it was so black and white and little things i enjoyed like in the world uh i i felt like this was an interesting parallel between our world at the same time in the 1890s versus the Harry Potter world in the 1990s where you walk around the world and there are people freely discussing like dark magic and their racism and it's just out and about everybody like you you ran into those characters right Stefan just yes. talking about like oh I don't understand why they let muggles at Hog or muggleborns at Hogwarts and stuff like that like that is it's so just blase all over the place that racism and classism is really out in the in the front of this game and it uses it to its advantage to tell a compelling story one of the most compelling aspects though of hogwarts legacy is obviously hogwarts itself yes because that's a true highlight of the game i would say i really wrote that down early on while playing this and it stayed my favorite location throughout the entire game mm. hogwarts um 
is a place that you enter after the introduction and you can choose your house. Which house did you choose, if I may ask? Gryffindor. I'm <laughs> my uh, my fiance Maddie is a proud Hufflepuff, and she always says how uh, it's funny because Gryffindors are kind of jocks, but their their trait is bravery. I'm not a jock, but I I fully believe. You know what it is? Gryffindor is the how dare you house, and that's me to a T. <laughs> <laughs> well, I joined Ravenclaw. I, I, before you told me, I knew that you were going to choose it. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually also, like, it's a brief sequence where you uh, basically show up late to the sorting ceremony, as it's good custom in the Harry Potter series. Yes. <laughs> you need to always show up late. Uh, so you immediately go to the front and you get that hat, talking hat. And then uh, you are asked, like, a couple of questions, like two or three questions, just as to your aspirations and what you are, what you're wishing for and so on. And um, then you're sorted into a house, but you can still say, no, I'd rather go into a different one. And uh, for me, I just accepted what was suggested to me, which was Ravenclaw. Yep. I, I got Gryffindor too. And, uh, but I, I liked, uh, there's two things I want to point out about the sorting hat ceremony. The first is that it's a really good, not the first example in the game. I want to talk about that in a minute, but it's a really good example of how true to the world the game is in subtle ways. So a big uh, thing a big revelation at the end of the Harry Potter series is that yeah you can just ask the Sorting Hat which you can tell them I would like to be in this house and so they include that even if you don't get the house that you want you can tell the Sorting Hat I want to be in this house and that's really nice I think that the moment I I realized that this game was going to pay that kind of attention to detail is in that opening scene when we you get you're sitting with your professor and another character. And a dragon attacks the carriage. And as soon as one of the characters dies, you see the Thestrals pop in. Because their, their mythology is that you can only see them if you've seen death up close. So before that, they're invisible. You see the death and then they just pop into existence. It's really good attention to that kind of detail, I think. Isn't that beautiful? I actually yeah. hadn't noticed it. And now that you tell me about it, I find it even more compelling. Cool, right? I... I that opening scene does a really good job of setting the stage. And what I liked about the sorting hat ceremony as well is that coming back to our starting as a fifth year conversation, the sorting hat kind of calls you out as a player and says, ah, you come here with preconceptions and notions and, you know, expectations. And it's like, yeah, because I know what Harry Potter is. So I know. <laughs> but really interestingly well enough, the house that you choose is only of very little significance. It's largely yeah. aesthetic items. Like you can get, for example, uh, a house scarf uh, or a house cape that you can wear. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are, I think, a couple of small quest lines that are influenced or that alter depending on the house that you're in. But mostly the story is the same. It doesn't really make that much of a difference which house you choose. So in case that you are about to start playing this game after this review... You do not have to worry or look things up about which house is the best. They're all equal and they've just got marginal differences in what characters will say in certain quests. The biggest differences are cosmetic, like you say, with the, the clothing, but then also your, um, your dormitory. You get to see the different uh, common rooms, which is really cool. And the, other, the only big difference really is that there's a, uh, a quest that leads you to sort of the main story. 
And that quest will be different depending on which house you're in. And I wouldn't, I I've seen them all because I'm a lunatic as you know, <laughs> but, uh, I will say that you don't spend the time playing up to that point on a different character. You can just look it up on YouTube because they're very cinematic and they're really cool, but that's the only thing you'd miss out on. Hogwarts itself, which is where you're basically let loose after the ceremony, you're sent to your dormitory and uh, then you can pretty freely explore the castle fairly early on. You get additional areas that are unlocked at a later point and you're gradually led through the area step by step if you follow the main quest. But Hogwarts itself, I, I struggle to find the right words to describe it. It is infused with detail, with magic, with beauty. It is mm. one of the most beautiful and enticing hub worlds I've ever seen in a video game. It's literally so good <laughs> that I enjoy just simply walking through the hallways of Hogwarts where you can, for example, see like small details, the moving portraits on the wall, or there's like um, small kind of puzzles to solve bring a butterfly to this picture and then you'll get like a hidden page or uh, solve a small math puzzle to open a door. Oh, there's a tea can floating there pouring some tea yeah. from as if poured from an invisible hand and you can just, you can take the cup of tea and just sip on it like a proper British it's, person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun and I think that so much detail was put into the castle itself that I was sad when I had to leave it. I think that I liked, well, okay, I liked Hogwarts and I liked going to Hogsmeade, the village near Hogwarts. That was also a lot of fun. I think that uh, so much attention was paid to the detail in both of those places. It was really made to feel not just the magical mystery of Hogwarts, but also what the day-to-day -day wizarding world looks like, which you don't get in Harry Potter you just get what's necessary for the plot because it's a novel, of course. But in this game, you can go into shops and you can talk to people and you meet a, you meet an auror as a cop. And, you know, there's all, all these different uh, just people that are doing things for good or for bad that you get to interact with. And it just fleshes things out so much more than the books do. Yeah, this is, I think, what brings the castle, Hogwarts, and also Hogsmeade, the town, really to life. For example, if you walk through the hallways of Hogwarts, then you will occasionally come upon a student who's being uh, screamed at by a, is it called a howler? A howler, yeah. Yeah, like a, a letter sent from an angry parent and the letter screams at you. And you can just, you just witness that while walking past. Or the poltergeist, Peeves, that you mentioned earlier. Um, Peeves, who suddenly slides down the handrail of a staircase and it's just like, wee. <laughs> ghosts dancing in the corridors. I think what I found most intriguing and most magical in the beginning hours of Hogwarts Legacy is that sense of a connected space. Because mm. everything in Hogwarts, like every single corridor, you can just walk through. You can just access it. And you kind of... I repeatedly had the situation where I walked into an area such as the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom and where I'm like, oh yeah, this is exactly like in the movie. This is exactly that location. And now yeah. I understand how all of these locations are connected with one another. Like basically the, 
the pathways that Harry, Ron, and Hermione would have walked in a movie when going from the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom to the library, for example. Yeah, or going down into the restricted section of the library and yes. just seeing, you know, these different areas of Hogwarts that maybe you only had heard about and you get to see them realize there's a there's a little quest where you restore um, the bells in the bell tower. So you get to see how that works and how the big clock works. And it's just very, very meticulously thought out. And I think that the true star of the game is Hogwarts and walking around it. It's so cool. Yeah, it's uh, always fun. And what you actually get to do in Hogwarts, if we just stay within the perimeter of the castle for now, yeah, um, because it's clearly the highlight of the game, what you get to do is you get to attend classes in which you learn new spells. Your professors give you extra assignments, which are just basically small fetch quests or tiny, tiny quests that you have to complete in order to learn a new spell, which you can then use. And uh, one thing that I found really appealing in the latter half of the game was the room of requirement. Mm. Uh, this is a room that's already, that's part of the, of the law of Hogwarts, you could say. It's a room that appears to those that really need it. And it contains exactly what you really need. And what this basically means is that it's a room that you can freely decorate and that you can, where you can put all sorts of things in, like potion brewing stations, or you can plant things and harvest them i want to point this out too. keep in keeping with the uh the subtle uh brilliance of the lore uh that they follow maddie pointed this out to me because i didn't know this but or i had forgotten it there's a quest where you go professor weasley one of your professors she wants to show you the room of requirement but she doesn't tell you what it is and your character is she goes or he or she goes to the place where Professor Weasley told them to meet. And what they do is they walk back and forth and they think, a, play, a quiet place, a quiet place. And they walk back and forth. The lore of the room of requirement is that if you pace back and forth three times thinking of what you need, it'll appear to you. Oh. So it did that too. And that's why Professor Weasley says, oh, you already found it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so smooth. I love yeah. that. It, You know, for me, Harry Potter is something that I watched when I was young. I read a couple of books, not all of them, and I occasionally rewatched the films, like over the Christmas period, for example. Good movies. Yeah, yeah they're really good films. And um, I am not like a super Harry Potter geek. I'm not into the lore that much. I don't know all of the backgrounds. But I'm very happy that this game manages to intrigue me as someone who's like very casually engaged with Harry Potter, as much as someone who's like super into the lore and yeah. who's like, wow, this is exactly like it was on page so-and-so. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's really cool. It's like both. It's for people who casually engage with it, which I assume almost every single person on this planet did, and people that are super into it, like Harry Potter super fans. It's a hard line to walk without it being yeah. uh, in your face about it. And I think it, it does it really well where it does those cool things, but it doesn't uh, have a character start blaring sirens and saying, this is what you are doing right now. You are following the lore. <laughs> Did you like the roster of different professors that are teaching at Hogwarts? They really grew on me. I think I was lukewarm at the, on them at first, uh, but I thought, first of all, it's a very diverse cast. I mean, every, every professor is from a different part of the world, which I thought was really cool. Um, and there's they they just have this personality like there's professor ronan who's the charms professor and he's very bubbly and kind of 
it seems like a little absent-minded, but he's very excited to be teaching. And then there's Professor Hecate, the dark arts teacher who's, as her name implies, kind of an old crone who's always uh, hunched over with her hands at her at her side like an anime character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's Professor Sharp, who's the potions professor, who is an ex-auror, and he has all of these harsh feelings about the ministry. And they, they do a lot with very little time. And I think that the more I interacted with them, the more I really liked them and understood who they were. Yeah, they basically introduce all of these professors and some side characters as well. Like it's a small roster, actually, of characters that are really close to you. They're the professors and there may be three, maybe four other students and characters that you encounter that you uh, kind of interact with quite a lot in the game. Mm. And it's really up to you how deep you want to go with these interactions. As an example, if you go to an astronomy class, then you meet a professor Onsai, I think that's her name. Onsai or something? No, she's um, she's the divination teacher. A divination, yes. Yes, Sorry. I can't remember divination. the... The astronomy's uh, the astronomy teacher's name, but you do meet a kid from Ravenclaw who really loves astronomy. <laughs> yes, Amit is his name. Amit Sakar, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Amit Sakar. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the 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 divination professor. Um, you can attend the classes and collect the two or three spells that she has to teach. Uh, you can, though, if you want to go deeper into it, uh, you can interact with the professors after class. You can speak to them, ask their backgrounds, where are they from, how it, how come that they are teaching at Hogwarts, and they will tell their backstory, uh, including her, who basically came from, I think, uh, what was it, South Africa? She uh, Matabele land, I think. I think something like that. Yeah, it's it's she's the mother of one of your one of your classmates, Natsai. Exactly, um, Natsai. Yeah, and they Natsai. came after a tragedy in Africa. Yeah, also called Natty. So you can basically, you can get to know the professor a little bit, you can get to know the daughter, and you can go through an expansive quest line with uh, Natty, the, the daughter, who's a fellow student, um, basically that inquires into her past, but also directly ties into the main story of the villainy that goes on in the world of Hogwarts uh, legacy. And I think that's really well done because you kind of get to decide to which degree you want to interact with the characters to which to which level of depth you want to develop their relationship there is a good amount of role-playing which i wasn't expecting kind of uh kind of in a uh, mass effect sort of way where you get to choose what you say and how rude you want to be so as a proud gryffindor i was always nice to everybody but i could see myself playing this as a slytherin and trying to be as evil as possible <laughs> so it does kind of allow for that it's a little bit like a small dialogue system that you have with every character. Mm. You can also reject quests, though I'm not sure whether these um, like good and evil answers that you can choose, what the significance is to them. Because I sometimes yeah. chose one that might be considered evil, but I found it the most reasonable thing to say in that moment, just like a Ravenclaw would, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then often it would kind of... Like it would, they do this very smartly. They acknowledge your response. They acknowledge that you kind of, you know, a, a character comes to you. <laughs> and I'll use this as an example. Yeah. A Weasley. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> One of those fellas in the potions brewing class comes to you and asks for you to take something out of the professor's office to steal something, basically. And uh, you can say like, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. No, I don't want to help you, basically. But in the conversation, it always they always turn it around a little bit like, yeah, I see that you're having hesitations, but it's going to be fine, you know, and then you still get the quest. 
Right. Yeah. I, I, that I think is probably one of the, well, you know what? I don't know. You could view it as a downside because if you want to say, I want all these choices. Sure. But I think that the strength of the game is in the characterization and the story. And I like that it's really linear because I think it serves its purpose better that way. I will say one thing I really like about all the characters. So you just mentioned Gareth Weasley. Um, there's not Sionai, there's, uh, who's a Gryffindor. There's Sebastian Sallow, who's a Slytherin, and there's Poppy Sweeting, who's a Hufflepuff. And what I love about them all is that in the, in the books and the movies, there's this sense that you get sorted into the house and then you take on the characteristics of that house where someone like Neville Longbottom, for example, becomes brave because he's in Gryffindor. What I love about Hogwarts Legacy is that through your interactions with these people, you understand that it was the opposite. They had these characteristics, and so the Sorting Hat said, you belong in this class. Like Sebastian Sallow at one point, you he takes the fall for something that you do, and he's a Slytherin, and he says, uh, no worries, I like having my friends in my debt. That is such a Slytherin thing to say. Yeah, And it just feels very natural to their... It's not like... Again, it's not blaringly obvious to you. It's just little things that they say that, you know, okay, yes, I see why you're in this house. <laughs> this makes sense. Yeah, the characterizations are perfectly befitting for the mm. house. Poppy Sweetings, who loves to interact with beasts and cares for them. And you have like an elaborate quest line that is about saving and preserving some kind of rare beasts. Mm. I just want to add to this question of the dialogue system. Um, I didn't, I, I also didn't mean that as a criticism, really, that these the choices that you make in the dialogues, they don't really have consequences. I think that is okay because the choice that you're making is basically you're characterizing your own avatar. You're characterizing the protagonist. What kind of person is that? You still do the thing you mm -hmm. know, that you're being yep. told to do, but you can determine what kind of attitude you have towards it. There's an absence of a morality system. And I think that that's, yeah. that's smart because it's more of a role-playing system for you where you think, well, this is what I think I would say. You know, with the morality system, I know it's absent, I know there is none, and yet I found it a little bit weird how they engage with the dark arts. Yeah, you can because learn you all three. <laughs> yes, you have, to, so, so you have like, uh, just to explore a little bit about the, uh, the basics of the combat, because it is also a combat-heavy game. If you're not mm -hmm. like exploring and talking to people, then you're usually running into caves and killing spiders or poachers or ash winders or humanoid enemies, basically. Yeah. And uh, you have a roster of spells that you can use. These spells, you have to learn them first, and then you add them to your roster and trigger them, and they are uh, delightful to use. Like to throw, just as a simple example, you have like a goblin who's carrying a heavy axe, and then you throw Expelliarmus at him, and then... The axe flies into the air and then you can basically snatch it out of the air and throw it back at him. It's very satisfying, yeah. Very satisfying, very dynamic combat system. There are not enough slots for the spells that you have. Like, you learn lots of spells in this game and I think about five to ten spells too many for my liking. I think, yeah, especially because you don't use them for other... Some of them interact with the world, but not all of them. And I think that I will say this, because a running theme on our show, Stefan, is that we always say we're getting old and we don't want choices as much. <laughs> and, and I think that um, a strength of the combat system is basically there are four colors of spells. 
that each do something else. And you have a spell slot where there are four slots that you can use to map to the directional buttons. So it makes combat very dynamic, but it also runs the risk of you kind of using the same spells over and over again. So I think that I would have liked a smaller roster of spells, um, but then again, I guess the allure of the game would be that you're learning all these things, but it didn't feel to me like there was enough variety to really make it fun to switch up all the time. That's how I felt. Yeah, I largely stuck to basically having two slots, so in total eight spells that you can just cycle through, yeah. and those were the ones that are mostly used, and then I've had the other two kind of slots were for uh, the spells that are for very specific interactions. For example, there are certain reasons as to why you would want to use, for example, um, uh, Lumos, just to... Mm. Um, basically like a flashlight or also to dispel some kind of tentacle plants that are growing on the floor, things like that. But you don't really need that in combat. So I put it right. way to the back. However, I don't think that there is enough distinction between some of the spells and I think they could have been unified into one. There is, for example, I never understood why do I need to have amongst the attack spells, there's of course Expelliarmus, which is cool because it disarms enemies. And then there are, there's uh, Incendio, the close-range fire spell. Then there is Confringo, which is the long-distance fire spell, and Bombarda, an explosion long-distance spell. Yeah. And I always thought, huh, couldn't they just make like one, <laughs> one fire spell or something? It's a little, bit, <sighs> a little bit tough for me because I cycled through these often and I was yeah. never really sure as to which spell I'm using right now because I had to switch through the stacks very quickly. I was surprised that they didn't evolve because I thought it was going to be you. This isn't how it works in the world, I guess, but for a video game, this would work well. I thought it was going to be like, hey, you've mastered Incendio. You can now le learn Confringo and you can supplant that for Incendio because it's really the same effect. And that that to me felt a little bloated. Like there are plenty of games where you can switch between levels of attacks and use them. And I was almost thinking that that's what was going to happen. But at a certain point, you kind of get overloaded. And I think that that would be one of my biggest criticisms of the game. And we can talk about it in other aspects here shortly. But I think there is a lot of bloat in this game. A lot of bloat. I actually messaged you early on when I was playing it. And I said, oh, it, it's actually pretty straightforward. And then I got into everything else. And I, I wanted to send you a message saying disregard <laughs> forget what i said <laughs> <laughs> well uh, let's talk about the fact that this game is completely bloated and that that while hogwarts is a very beautiful location that uh, there is so much fluff and so much repetition in this game that it's terrible but before we get into that let's take a brief break 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we are back with our review of Hogwarts Legacy. So far, we've praised the game for its generally intriguing story its dedication to the Harry Potter lore, and also its beautiful recreation of Hogwarts and Hogsmeade, which in themselves, I think, would have sufficed as areas to explore. However, Avalanche decided that no, instead of making it like a small world with lots of detail, let's make it a massive open world, because we just spoke about a fraction on the map um, but this game is expansive. It has a huge open world. Basically, the entire Scottish Highlands are modeled yeah. in this video game. Too big. Too why? big, I say. Yeah. I don't understand uh, why. I think that there's... I would have preferred if there were... So the game starts with a port key, a magical device that teleports you to a place. I would have preferred if all of the main quests had begun with another port key and they just take you to another location because traversing this world it's i'm gonna say this it's not interesting enough to be this big there's way too much of it and it's just forests and mountains and eventually the ocean <laughs> and it's just it's too much it's too much yeah the game is not able to carry the size of its own open world the world in mm -hmm. itself it's not ugly. It's perfectly fine. It's nice. It's a neat world to traverse. But the thing is that while there are some interesting stories that are being told and there are some interesting side quests, it's like 85% of the things that you do, let's say, in the middle section of the game, in the middle part, are repetitive small things that you do over and over. For example, the Merlin Trials. The Merlin Trials, uh, they are basically, um, it's like a small circle on the ground and then you can throw some specific herb on there and then it unlocks like a tiny magical puzzle uh, where you need a specific spell, um, you need to maybe destroy a couple of statues or you need to ar arrange small spheres 
onto a pedestal. In themselves, they are not bad. They are tiny bite-sized puzzles, but they are repeated over and over and over again ad nauseum. And this is only one task. Um, there yeah. are at least eight other different tasks that are also always identical. And to me, it really felt like an absolute chore playing through this game. I found I was at a point where I disliked it so much that I abandoned all of these activities. And I felt almost... I felt almost like a certain sense of pity mm. because I know that Avalanche Studios, the people at the studio that they have, that they sat down and they implemented all of these small activities in the world. And I'm just like basically breezing past them. I see the icon on the map, but I know that if I go there, I'm going to get just some random trash that I'm going to pedal away in a moment for a measly amount of gold. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's going to give me nothing at all, a tiny percentage tick in my completion meter. So I just at a certain point said, no, I'm not going to care about this anymore. I'm just going to go past it. I found that such a shame. Well, I, I tried to do all of them and I have done all of them. I was going to say, but one, but that's not even true. I was going to save this for later. But one of the most frustrating glitches, especially for me, is that the platinum trophy was glitched for a long time. The first problem was that all, there's a massive amount of collectibles. And the PlayStation wasn't registering when you picked one up for the trophy. They fixed that in a bug, but now there's a second bug that doesn't recognize the last item that you've picked up. So I am one item away from having the platinum trophy. And until they fix that, I can't do it. And to me, that was like, that's like my nightmare hunting platinums, right? is there's a glitch that's going to prevent you from getting that. It It's the worst feeling. And on top of that, I'm going to say specifically of the Merlin Trials, and it, it kind of expands to the other sub-activities. I really love the characterization of Merlin in the Harry Potter world. He was a Slytherin. He, you know, helped King Arthur, who is a real person in this world. He was, um, you know, renowned as one of the best wizards of all time, of course. And I was really expecting that if I completed all the Merlin trials, I would get like a message from him. And you don't. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> and it drove me crazy. There's 95 of them, Stefan. I did every one 90? of them. Oh. And the only thing you get is more inventory slots, which I guess is fine. <laughs> yeah, you get more inventory slots, which is why it's really smart to do some of them early on. But then at a certain point, like you don't need all of them to unlock no. the biggest uh, section of your inventory. And so at a certain point, it's just simply doing it to make the icon disappear from the map. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know what the worst was? The worst side activity mm. in Hogwarts Legends, uh, Hogwarts Legacy, sorry, already forget the name of the game. Uh, there's a, a, a quest you're being asked by professor moon oh the demiguises <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. uh, to collect demiguise statues or, or like a tiny moon orb from these statues they're placed all over the world and they can only be picked up at night so that means uh, you can fast forward time so you whenever you stumble upon one then you open the map and then you press the right stick in to advance time so you can skip into night and then collect it. And then it's always night. <laughs> so when you're walking yeah. around, you always trigger back into night mode. <laughs> so you <basically, laughs> the game was night for me for most of the time that I played it. <laughs> and 
I found it so annoying, especially because they lock the Alohomora spell behind it. The Alohomora yeah. spell is you needed to unlock doors and uh, you can level it up in three levels. But in order to unlevel it, uh, to, to level it to the highest level, you need to literally like g look up a guide and just go and pick up these demigod statues. And I just thought, no way, I'm not going to do that because I unlocked a couple of these lower entry doors. And it was just trash behind there too. <laughs> yeah, it's all just trash. And and you mentioned a really good point, which is money is necessary in this game and it is so hard to come by. And uh, the best way to get it is just by uh, capturing a bunch of magical beasts and then selling them to the beast shop. Like that's you're the basically, quickest way to do it. You're becoming a poacher, basically. <laughs> you are. That's the other weird dissonant thing is that you're fighting poachers this whole time and then you turn around and you catch like 50 moon calves and you sell them to the beast shop and who knows what she's going to do with them. <laughs> You're like, ah, unicorn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very Off nice. to the shop with you. Yeah, right. So I think I would say that with all the subquests and all, or not the subquests, because the subquests are kind of intriguing, but the activities, the like mini games, uh, my one word review would be tedious. It is boring and long and there's way too many of them. Yeah. I, I really felt like the game was disrespecting my time. It's uh, mm -hmm. I enjoyed the main story and I enjoyed the longer quest lines that actually have some story context. But these uh, just repetitive chores, I would say um, my recommendation would be uh, for Avalanche Studios <laughs> to just leave out such things. Just not put them and not bother with it. Because, I mean, there are, of course, people who will do it. And there are people who say, I'm going to buy Hogwarts Legacy and I'm going to play that for the rest of the year. And and that's cool. Sure. Like uh, There's sure. certainly people who want that. But I think that there is enough in the game uh, to enjoy it for a long time. If you were to cut down these trivial activities by half, you would still have a long game. And you would, if you would size down the world by half, you would still have a huge sprawling open world. I think they basically shot themselves in the foot by yeah. trying to make such a huge open world that is though largely empty and only filled with uh, just chores that you need to do, basically. It felt like a mandate from above in a lot of ways because I was thinking of another Warner Brothers game that I quite like, those Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor games. Those games are pretty massive, but every area is really unique and interesting and you want to explore it. I didn't get that from uh, Hogwarts Legacy. So I almost feel like they had some directive from, you know, whatever head at Warner Brothers saying, well, our other games are huge. Batman Arkham City is or uh what is it? arkham knight is gigantic but the thing about that game is that every part of it is interesting <laughs> so yeah. i think it doesn't quite reach those heights of other warner brothers open world games totally and what contributes to that is also the loot system or the gear system you could say mm. in itself it's cool because it's basically a system where um, everything you get is kind of randomized they they designed a certain selection of items and uh, once you get them, you can always change your appearance into them. So you can basically transmogrify your clothing and your gear into anything you have previously had, whether you own it still or not, which is really nice because it means for me, of course, uh, I always adapted my, physic uh, my, my visual appearance to the season because the game goes through uh, oh, four fun. seasons. Yeah. And of course, when it's, uh, when it's winter out and it's like beautifully 
like Christmas decoration everywhere in Hogwarts and some snow on the fields. Uh, then I'm going to put on like a thick scarf and so on. <laughs> I, I had lots of fun role playing in that way. Yeah. But it also means since everything is randomized that 95% of the things that you get are trash. So basically you go around in quests and in these menial activities and you're only collecting what in other games would qu class as junk. And uh, you then basically just go off, you fast travel to Hogsmeade where you sell it somewhere uh, to get some gold for it. For a pittance. <laughs> I would also say <laughs> uh, that one of the things that I desperately wanted is something that other RPGs do brilliantly, which is an optimized button. Because there's so many items and you have to manually go into each. There's like seven gear slots and you have to go into each one of them and you have to look through and find the best one. If you're going to do that kind of ranked uh, armor system where there's rare, there's legendary, you know, different kind of things like that, give me an optimization because I don't want to waste time. I mean, every time I would change gear, it would take me like five minutes. And it's yeah. just, it just doesn't, it's, it, does, it doesn't do anything to warrant that. It drove me nuts. Yeah, especially because it's just like a tiny stat number that's going up that doesn't make a yeah. significant difference. Like there are no abilities or something tied to it. Uh, you can then, of course, also micromanage and uh, you can um, you can optimize your gear, uh, upgrading it by using uh, beast materials that you have in your own little uh, zoo, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Your vivarium, that's what it's called. A vivarium which is placed in the room of requirement and it's basically like an open-air zoo. <clears throat> and uh, the thing is, though, that process is so tedious that you, you basically need to, you've got a unicorn, cool. Then you need to feed it, then you need to brush it, and then you can get a unicorn, uh, what is it, like a unicorn hair or something. Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, a unicorn hair. And uh, then you need to wait like another half an hour before you can get the next one. And then you go out of the vivarium, you go to your your little tool where you can upgrade your gear, and then you can invest that one unicorn hair to upgrade a part of your gear, which is very minimum up, minimal upgrade at a certain it's point so, it just stop doing it <laughs> i know it's so because it doesn't it doesn't offer that much i i mean yeah like you said you could min max i guess but the thing that drove me nuts too is that it has uh like mobile game slash microtransaction uh mechanics without any of the ability to purchase anything so you just mentioned the 30 minutes you just arbitrarily wait 30 minutes to collect this item like it's set up as if, I, I don't know if you felt this way, but it's set up as if like you could open the PSN shop and buy those materials. Like yeah. that's what they want you to do, but it's not there. So it's just this random, like it takes 30 seconds to brew a potion. It takes 10 minutes to harvest a, a, an herb. It takes 30 minutes to take something from the, the pet. And I, I guess it's a way of minim, or making difficult your min-maxing so that you have to wait but that's so boring. Make it rare or something. Make it difficult to get. Don't just make me wait. That's ridiculous. It drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I basically just always had my routine when I went to the room of requirement of just starting to brew a couple of potions. And then I would go around. I would take care of my beasts and <laughs> harvest my plants and then would come back and then the potions are done. Ridiculous. I, I <laughs> hated it. 
<laughs> ah, it's such a shame. Uh, especially, I love the customization when it comes to the visual aesthetics of the character because the outfits that they have designed are really beautiful. Yeah. However, and this is uh, where we come into the domain of bugs and glitches, um, the <laughs> the outfits glitch in hilarious ways. Um, I was <laughs> partially I was really impressed by the fact that if you have like a long robe, you know how it like flutters in the wind, and if you fly on a broom, broom flying, which you can do in the game, looks no Quidditch, cool. but but broom flying, it looks really cool when it just like flutters in the wind like that. They I, I, it really impressed me the degree of detail that they got into this kind of animating this fabric. But then again, it's like in every second uh, cutscene, my arm would stick through my robe or my robe would be like tilted up going through my neck, basically. Yeah, my favorite one was uh, <laughs> there's a really emotional moment with Sebastian Sallow. He's, his whole story is that he's trying to help his sister who was cursed and he goes to these dark lengths to do it. And eventually he gets ostracized by his uncle who uh, reprimands him for looking into the dark arts. And it's this really intense scene and your character goes out to comfort him. And in that scene, Sebastian's robe was cut off and flipped at his waist. So it looked like he was wearing a dress and it just <laughs> took the entire emotional weight out of it for me. <laughs> ah, that's so difficult. It's tough because I know that they put they, they put a lot of work into it. And I know that it must be really difficult to get these this soft fabric animated in a way that works. But the, this is just, this is just terrible. <laughs> I know these, these I feel are more nitpicks, the time yeah. wasting, the giant, what those are big issues. This is just silliness that you think, oh, I wish that didn't happen. Cause it yeah. took the, took the breath out of this emotional scene. Also one tiny nitpicky thing is mm. that in, if you go through Hogwarts, which we described initially as being the most beautiful sensation that you can have with this game, uh, then there are small loading times. Like uh, yep. when you you go through an area and then you try to open a door and then there would be like a small loading circle and you have to just wait two or three seconds in front of the door. It's not long. It's not terrible. It clearly indicates that this world is so big and Hogwarts is so big and detailed that the PS5 is not able to just render all of it in the background. Instead, you need to wait for a moment. I thought like this is like an irritation, but then I afterwards started playing Fire Emblem Engage where you basically, <laughs> if you're in your hub world, you go through a door and then you can basically get yourself a glass of water and go to the bathroom and then come back after, and then the loading screen is done. And then I thought like, ah, Hogwarts Legacy is fine. They're fine. It's pretty that. good. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I had sent you a message while we were playing because you, you mentioned that to me and I said, yeah, it's pretty jarring to go from Hogwarts Legacy back to Pokemon Scarlet where it's oh. just like a frame rate of two frames per second sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you don't criticize these technical aspects yeah. anymore. Like it's, I'm being a little bit of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but the frame rates in Hogwarts Legacy, of course, like in certain moments it can dip for a second, but largely the game runs very well, especially now after mm. its patches that it has received. It's a really smooth experience. I never had any kind of issues that would that would irritate me too much except for the silly, uh, you know, robes physics that would just yeah. glitch out. And the the last thing I'll say about all of these issues that we have with it, the kind of flip side of it is that um, Avalanche has come out and said they are not doing any DLC for this game. So barring patches where they just make, you know, they fix issues like these, this is the game. So in a sense, it's too sprawling and it's too open. But in another sense, well, at least that's it. That's the package, right? And that's kind of commendable nowadays. Yeah, that's probably cool. a, a note out of Elden Ring's book would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they do already have 
cosmetics that you can purchase. Like you can invest another 20 euros to purchase some kind of cosmetic pack. Uh, fair enough. Like this is something sure. that doesn't that doesn't irritate anymore uh, in the year 2023. Um, but uh, I mean, what, what could they do for DLC? It's like another 20 Merlin trials. <laughs> <It's> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Don't put it past them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I, I also appreciate that they focus on the main game. I think with a little bit of optimization, um, yep. It's something that you can easily recommend. Uh, one question, though, because we spoke about the dark arts several times briefly. Yes. I actually... So you can learn all of the dark arts in the game, and you can use it pretty indiscriminately. Like, you can mm -hmm. just evolve that cadaver your way all over the world. In the yep. story, it's still strictly scrutinized, but in the gameplay itself, it really doesn't matter. Nobody cares. However, I still didn't do it. Interesting. I did it. I did. Cause I, there was a conversation where, um, Sebastian, the Slytherin, who's learning all of these spells, he convinced me by saying, uh, well, the people who were, the people who we may fight are going to use these. So why shouldn't we have them? Why shouldn't we know about them? And I thought, you know what? That's actually a compelling argument that the movies never made. Because they always say they're the unforgivable curses, right? They're they're evil, they're torturous, they are awful, right? But I thought that he the way I was playing it with my character, I was very close with that Sebastian character, and he kind of convinced me of it. So it was fun. <laughs> it was fun to use them. <laughs> yeah, you can crucio your way through the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I didn't do that. I actually uh, I stuck to my own moral compass. I learned all of them because I wanted to know them and I thought it makes yeah. sense to be aware of them. But uh, I deliberately didn't use any of them ever in combat and that was perfectly fine. I could play through the entire game doing so. Expelliarmus oh, is also a super strong spell. You get yeah. it very early on, but it's still super effective at the end of the game. And I do find it interesting though, and I actually must say I like this. Um, I like the fact that they assigned a little bit of a different significance to the dark arts in in this game because in the general harry potter law you have this uh, label of unforgivable curses like this is a stand-in for capital crime in the world of uh, of harry potter right immediate imprisonment if you're found using them exactly yeah. exactly but in hogwarts legacy it's actually different there are characters who use it and there are characters who do so and who redeem themselves there's also a character who's part of the Keepers that you get to know that basically protect the ancient magic. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He also, at, at one point, he also used it, but he's still part of the Keepers. Um, so it's they basically reframe this as this is not so much unforgivable anymore. It's more like something that it depends on context. It depends on intention. Mm. It's something that will not basically put an end to your existence as a social being, basically. But it still is, it's prohibited and you shouldn't do it. But yeah. if you have a good reason and in specific circumstances, it can be excused. I think that's the crucial difference is that at no point, except for the, except when you learn Crucio, at no point is there a moment where you're given the option to use them in a way that's truly evil. You, it's just in combat when you're defending yourself. So that's a bit of a, it is nuanced as you're saying. And I think that, again, that's a really interesting look into this world before people like Grindelwald and Voldemort rose to power where it became really taboo because they were just using it indiscriminately to murder and torture people. So I think there's, 
again, it's it's less black and white. It's more of an interesting look into like Sebastian Sallow is a great character who explains to you, the player or the reader of Harry Potter, why someone would resort to these because his story is incredibly compelling. I think it's the strongest yeah. part of the game, I would say. Definitely, yeah. And it's so emotional and the turns it takes are very unexpected. Um, and I think that when you're kind of with him and, and going along with him. Oh, and also, by the way, his friend, Ominous Gaunt, one of the like ev- most evil families in the Harry Potter world, he's the one sitting there like, please don't do this. This is all my family wants to do this all the time. It's awful. I hate it. So yeah. he's kind of the voice of reason throughout the whole thing. It's, re- it's just a cool uh, inversion of what you would expect from the dark arts in the Harry Potter world. I loved the character of Ominous. Not least because he is blind and mm. uh, you can see briefly that they explain um, Ominous, he navigates around the castle with his wand. Basically, you, so he cool. uses like a blind stick. And uh, that brings me to the last uh, subject that I still wanted to address, which is diversity, of course. We yeah. spoke about the diversity in the, in the context of the general discussion, uh, but uh, I do think it is remarkable that... Uh, Hogwarts legacy does open up the world, uh, the wizarding world so much, like regarding ethnicity, regarding gender, regarding sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I noted down, of course, that we spoke about Natsai Onai already, who's, uh, you know, like basically from Africa, you could say. Oh yeah. She's yeah. Directly from Africa. She, she's a, a transfer from Wagado. The Wagado. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is cool because as we said at the beginning, it opens up the idea of future stories in this world may be taking place at Wagadu, for example. Clearly not a DLC because they're not doing any, but maybe, you know, another Hogwarts Legacy 2. They're they're already working on the second one. They've got the green light for it, yeah. There's also, there are professors from India. There is, uh, we spoke about the fact that there are uh, also trans characters in the game. Uh, I think the most um, clearly addressed component flat out addressed component of a trans character that would be serona ryan she's uh the innkeeper of the three broomsticks in hogsmeade and i like about her story that it's um first it's presented as kind of self-evident then there if you want to go deeper and you do like some side questing then there's a little bit more of an exploration of uh you know her background and her struggles Although she's always portrayed as a nuanced character, she's never reduced to being a trans character, but she's a self-evidently trans character in this world. Just like there are characters, there's a, a scientist that you can meet near the grounds of Hogwarts who casually the just trial references. lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. she, yeah, exactly. She researches the, the Merlin trials and she references briefly, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, my wife, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and that's about it. Like, there's a little bit of further exploration if you speak to the wife then. <laughs> but... Uh, Nothing's, nothing's addressed in a, again, I, we've, I brought this up, the blaring sirens. There are no overt nods to anything. The closest that it comes in my memory is actually with Sirona, the trans character, which I thought was going back to our previous conversation about the goblins and about ideologies. There's something really great. Uh, it's almost like a blink and you'll miss it little characterization for Sirona and for Lodgok, the goblin companion. Lodgok and Serona are friends, and Serona casually mentions that Lodgok recognized she was a witch before her friends did, like her wizard friends did. So there's this really kind of subtle 
beautiful nod that Lodgok, who has every reason to hate wizard kind, accepted Serona for who she was before anyone else. And it, again, kind of muddies the waters a little bit with the morality of these different people on different sides, because that's a really commendable trait from a character who, by all accounts, should just hate wizards for any number of reasons, and he doesn't. So I thought that was really well done, and I like that it was never in your face and take this J.K. Rowling and all that, because I, I was worried that it would go that route. Yeah, that either it would be too cautious or that it would be too upfront about things. And mm. at the same time, though, they really managed to um, construct a world uh, or reconstruct the wizarding world in a way so that it is inclusive, open, diverse, and... Uh, yeah, you wanted to say something? You know what it, I was going to say, you know what it does is it it does what J.K. Rowling never did, which is it normalizes it. Yeah. It's just the way the world is when you go into it. Your character doesn't question it. The only time you ever hear about racism is with the goblins or with the headmaster who hates Muggleborns because he's a racist uh, member of the black family. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's also cool, though, because at the beginning, I was a little bit worried that, as you said, either they go in the direction of being too cautious and not addressing the subject at all, or maybe they will go in the direction of basically making it a diversity utopia, where mm. it's like everyone's just kind of equal and no discrimination or marginalization exists anymore. But they also didn't fall into that trap because they do address the fact that Serona, as a trans character, that there were some struggles in her past. Those struggles are not what define her as a character necessarily, but uh, there can be such problems. And I think it's good that they address this in a quest where you can find uh, old letters from her basically and get some characterization because one i think my favorite professor was professor garlic the herbology professor yeah i loved her i, I think i had a crush on her because she looks like my fiance but you know, <laughs> she uh there's this beautiful story that you just mentioned where uh serona as a child was so she she had uh every reason to be withdrawn and uh scared but she wasn't. She was confident, and that drew out the best in this Garlic character, and they were best friends, and the letters that you read are just these supportive missives between these two characters who clearly love each other. And I just, I thought that that was so well done, and not something that you have to follow up with, but it was very compelling. I thought that was another, probably next to the Sebastian Salo stuff, I think my favorite little jaunt into the world. And you know what? I know that this opening up the world, the wizarding world, and uh, bringing all kinds of identities into play. I know that it causes issues of consistency, because, mm. of course, this is set 100 years, roughly 100 years before uh, Harry Potter would arrive at Hogwarts. And, of course, then suddenly there are no professors, no Indian professors Everybody's walking the white. hallway. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> walking around blind and so on. No trans characters. Yeah. I know that it's inconsistent. But... Who cares about yeah, that? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I read a long article that argued, yeah, it's inconsistent, it's not consistent with the law, where all these trans characters gone a hundred years later. But, well, that's what it is. These books have been written by a different person at a different time. Now, basically, people are taking the license and the this world, this diegetic world, then they're running with it. They're doing other things with it. They're opening it up. It's perfectly fine. I actually don't see uh, how this inconsistency is an actual problem. No, and that that brings me to my final thought on the game, if you'll allow me. I think that 
I mentioned up top that I think this is such a great mirror to not only our world, but to the previous Harry Potter universe. And that inconsistency to me, I think actually I can explain what happened in the world, right? I think there's enough connective tissue to say. So we enter Hogwarts Legacy in the 1890s, and there's racism, there's problems with the goblins, all of this stuff, right? But there isn't a huge wizarding threat like there is in the Harry Potter world, because Harry Potter lines up with, it has these analogs for the world wars. The first world war is Grindelwald and his followers, and the second world war is Voldemort and and his followers, his basically Nazi followers, his fascist, you know, Death Eaters and everything. And so it is so, so black and white. And for all the damage that that may do to the credibility of that storytelling, it serves a purpose of showing this world that is so beset by fear and anger and disappointment in each other and division and all of this, right? And I think that the world of Hogwarts Legacy hasn't gotten to that point yet. There hasn't been a huge division between wizard kind yet. People are mingling. They're talking to other school professors. Everybody's kind of coming together to learn. They're learning from each other. So I don't think it's inconsistent. I think it's almost this really interesting look back before people who were like Grindelwald and Voldemort really fractured the world. And to me, that's not only interesting, but it's compelling in a sense that it mirrors our history and our world in that racism has always existed, but absent these massive world-ending threats, it's kind of confined <laughs> to vi- villages and you know people who maybe unfortunately run a school for children <laughs> or you know maybe some odd one-off people in the the government, right? But I think that it's a really interesting kind of prelapsarian uh, look at this world before everyone just got so terrified of everything. And I think that kind of mirrors where we are today. So I obviously our past has a lot of problems too, but that's what I took from it. And I thought, wow, that is so cool if that's what they're going to do, looking to move forward in this world they've created to just kind of subtly look at the class structure and the racism and all the problems that would lead to a world being susceptible to someone like Voldemort. I also think that as a final remark, it stands out that this is happening in a triple A video game. Yeah. Uh, Like we're talking about all of these nuanced aspects of diversity and marginalization in the, not in the context of some kind of indie game uh, that you can download on itch.io, but uh, (laughs) This is, a, this is a massive production that has been controversial from the start, and they still managed, I think, with great care and dedication to address these political matters. That really impressed me. Of course, mm. I want to say for anyone who is even remotely like interested in the world of Harry Potter and the, the wizarding world, it's an absolute treat to explore Hogwarts and Hogsmeade. I would just say... The worst part of the game is its tedium. It's it's too ambitious, it's too big and too repetitive. But if you go in and you say, I'm going to maybe play on a lower difficulty level and I'm going to focus on the main storyline and the most important side quests, you're going to have a great 30 to 40 hours and you're going to have a wonderful time exploring Hogwarts and Hogsmeade in all four seasons and all its blossom. Yeah. Uh, I found that really beautiful. That's exactly what I wanted from the game. And that's why I would say, um, even though it has its downsides, I still find it a game that 
I can, I can endorse. I agree. And I think that there's, there's enough of the Harry Potter DNA in there that as a fan of the series, um, I'm without spoiling anything. We mentioned getting to know the professors. There's a fantastic payoff for that towards the end of the game. That is one of those kind of stand up from your couch excitement moments. And I think that's what it does really well is the character writing, the story, and Hogwarts itself. So, yeah, I think for all the issues that we've discussed, um, it's a really interesting piece of history that we've just engaged with. There's only one condition under which you absolutely have to steer clear of this game if you are mm. an arachnophobic. If you have arachnophobia, <laughs> then run from this video game whenever you see it. A little little peek behind the curtain, dear listener. Stefan put in our notes, how many, how many spiders can one fight? And I added to the note, one million. One million spiders. <laughs> uh, approximately, yes. Approximately. <laughs> well, Probably low-balling, actually. <laughs> thank you so very much for listening to our review of Hogwarts Legacy. Please feel free to submit your thoughts and questions on this video game to studyingpixels.com slash contact. Next week, we'll do something special because I'll actually be on vacation. Dan is going to do a solo episode on Like a Dragon, Ryugagotoku Ishin, the brand new old video game that's a remaster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> going to a little Japanese history lesson incorporated into this review as well, right? Yes, absolutely. So as if always. you... If you liked our uh, look at Nintendo, where we went into the history of actually roughly the same time as uh, as this game, then you're going to enjoy my historic look back at Ryugagotoku Ishin. And I'm going to go hiking into the mountains. So That's I'll be, so fun. be around again in two weeks. Stay tuned next week for Dan's solo episode on Like a Dragon Ishin. See you all. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.